0: No, no cartridge audio. My name is Trevor Strunk. Hagelbont on Twitter, and I'm happy to have with me uh, my. Uh, I guess we're pretty, pretty new friends on on Twitter. Pretty new. I guess mutuals. Mutuals on Twitter, yeah. Um, but uh, uh, a mutual of mine on Twitter, uh, Seth, writer, uh, media writer uh, at Waypoint, all other all other sorts of places. You can find them at uh, at A S A P Sunscreen. Uh, Seth, welcome on the show. Hi, how you doing, Trevor? Doing well. Doing well. Um, Really happy to have you here, especially because you're you're kind of digging into. I think we're gonna end up talking about a lot of stuff that I really like, uh, in terms of like uh, media studies and uh, and especially especially cinema studies that I think I can't bring up a lot because I'm not super smart when it comes to them. So mm-hmm. I require someone I'm, who I'm is. not the
1: most smart. Well,
0: you have the degree, so I'll I'll give you that. That's true. Yeah, you're you're one up on me. Um, so give us an idea, like, so you're here to talk to us, sort of about um. I mean, for lack of a better uh, definition, sort of like artifice in video games.
1: Basically. uh, I basically, whenever I like play games, especially like a lot of like older PS3 games, I think it's always interesting. Um, Or I'm really kind of fascinated with that era because I find it interesting the way in which they kind of like made these games back then, Um, especially with it being like this, this kind of HD gaming era where that was the standard. And they were like, oh, it's high definition. This is the we're finally going to be able to make games real. And so the way they try to approach reality, I think is is kind of an interesting thing because in the end, like, I don't know, the way people make games uh, to be real, there's always like some kind of rules in place, some kind of structure there that they put in that gets in the way. Like uh, just, I mean, the the basic example, maybe like Call of Duty Advanced Warfare, where it's like press F to pay respects, press X to pay respects or something (laughs) like that, where it's like, I don't know, being kind of forced down these paths. Um, I always think that's kind of interesting, uh, but I guess the the thing that I was talking to you about a little bit before we started was um, recently I got interested in playing Batman Arkham Origins. Mm-hmm. Um, those games are always kind of weird to me, just because I don't really like comic books that much or superheroes, and
0: and I don't really get the character of Batman that well. <laughs> what, but I mean, what's not to get, man? He's a he's a billionaire fighting for justice, just the, that tech capitalist. Honestly,
1: I feel like there could be like a Batman game or a new superhero. Um, in the form of Batman that's just, like, a startup owner. Oh, yeah, no. A disruptor. It's actually, in these Batman games, he has a weapon called the disruptor. I mean, he sort of... It's the weapon of ideas.
0: (laughs) He is kind of, like... I mean, especially in the modern versions, Batman is kind of... Bruce Wayne is kind of, like, uh, more a tech mogul, insofar as, like... Lucius Fox effectively becomes his gadget guy. And, uh, basically, and he
1: just has his little like Q and A lab or R and D, not Q and A. And
0: it's all, it's less about like, it's less about sort of the, uh, the detective, like the Sherlock Holmes style detective work that he did in the earlier comics and much more about like CSI stuff, especially even in the games, like where you have to like spray and like look for, this happens a lot in Arkham, uh, in, um, uh, Arkham city. Uh, but, um, the, uh, you know, when you have to like use your bat detective scope to find out where like, uh, whatever Deadshot was, or I can't remember exactly yeah. who you're tracking. I think, I think it was Deadshot. Yeah. But yeah, so
1: one thing I was actually going to bring up is that like I joke about Batman being like a startup owner, or, like a, a disruptor, <laughs> or some kind of like tech wonderkin. But like, honestly, a lot of the game is just about like accumulating data and then cross referencing all these like data points. Absolutely. Um, to get people like I've been playing. So I finished Arkham Origins and I started playing Arkham Knight a little bit. And in Arkham Knight, you like find these bodies that have been like just crucified around the city that are all dead. And you have to like use these different like deep tissue scans to like find different things in their body, like a hip replacement or like a bullet wound or a wedding ring. And then you cross reference all these like databases of like who's married um who got a hip replacement who got this thing mm. and i don't know how batman has access to these i don't know how he gets any of them but he finds people's identities like through this kind of thing
0: yes it's the bat computer man it's that it's that thing that yeah. was a joke initially and now is very very serious and he just has access oh to my all god these databases.
1: honestly i think a lot about in the christopher nolan movies in the dark knight mm-hmm. he has like that that computer that can like reference every like smartphone in the city oh, and yeah. uses sound waves to like create, like, sonic or, like, spatialized, like, projections of the city. Yeah,
0: Slavoj Žižek makes much of that, uh, Mm -hmm. for better or for worse. But, like, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, that's Batman in a nutshell, where, like, the the tech exists for him to be an all-seeing overlord, Um, but he just uses it for good, I guess. It's weird, though, because,
1: um, well, I mean, I guess the thing I don't get about Batman is that all of his stories kind of necessitate him as the only answer to any problem in the city. Yeah. Because the cops are bad, but the criminals are still bad and they're still criminals, even though the cops like the bad cops call them criminals. The
0: best the best account I've heard of of Batman is that because uh, I for a long time I was trying to figure out what cities uh so if you don't read comics, this might I don't know if you know this or not, but in Marvel Comics, generally the cities are real cities. Um so Spider Man lives okay. in New York. He grew up in Queens. Um, you know, uh most of the heroes live in new york but people are in all, all sorts of places all around um they have places in america or rarely in europe where they live um but in dc comics a lot of sometimes those are real cities show up but a lot of times it's yeah. like these uh stand-in cities so uh, central city or uh coast uh i think like coast city is one of them but the major ones are coast city Coast, yeah of course like you know they're all they, it's a good name. they're all made up in the 50s it's and a city 60s at a and coast. It's like coast city that's right correct Uh, i think green lantern destroyed that one when he was evil um so you don't have to worry about that one anymore but the uh (laughs) i mean obviously the two big ones are metropolis and gotham and so i always was wondering like what is gotham chicago is gotham supposed to be new york is metropolis chicago is metropolis new york like those seem to be the two options um in in my mind but i heard someone say like basically um i I can't remember if it was just the theory or if this was like a creator but they were saying like Basically Metropolis and Gotham are both New York. It's just that like me- like New York under Superman is like a utopia and New York with Batman it has to be like a hellhole and it's just both sides yeah. of like what we expect from cities. So that's how I understand Gotham that like it's just basically a hyper conservative fantasy about how cities are. Yeah. In Arkham Origins there
1: was like kind of this perfect illustration for this weird like situation with Batman because I don't remember if it happens in the other games. I played like Asylum and City back when they came mm-hmm. out a long time ago, yeah. um, and I don't think Knight does this, um, or at least from what I've seen. But in in Origins, like Batman actively like beats up police officers, <laughs> right? Like you go to the the headquarters to try to find some information, and then you just start beating up cops. And then Alfred actually like calls you on the phone or on the Bat communicator or something, and he says. Why are you beating up those cops aren 't they supposed to be good and he's like, no they're crooked and they're in my way, <laughs> so he just starts like beating them up, but then later on, when you're still in this police precinct, like you hit some switch or something happens that opens up all these like prisoners' cells mm-hmm. and then you start beating them up too because they're bad, so yeah. it's just everybody's bad except Batman he's the only good one
0: yeah, Batman's the only person who has any moral moral high ground except the victims, yeah. like people who are victims and Batman, and then everyone else is a bad person yeah yeah it's but also like what were you gonna say oh i was gonna say it's an interesting way of looking at it because of course like you know most of most of what people like about batman is his like rogues gallery like the villains and oh like they're all like like, twisted or dark or whatever they're all crazy yeah and then it's like it's like well every single person in the city is is that at this point like there's there's, yeah (laughs) that's the only way you can have batman
1: yeah, there's this uh I think Austin Walker made this point back when he was at Giant Bomb. Mm-hmm. It was about Arkham Knight, but he was saying that um the Batman games like never actually show like an Arkham worth saving. They always show like Arkham after it's gone to hell and there's no citizens there to save. Yeah. And every game has like this narrative thing that makes it where there's no citizens. Arkham Asylum obviously, you're on this island uh where the asylum is, so you're not even in the city. Um but then like arkham city is where they just like have the prison city oh yeah yeah and then where like
0: uh yeah what, Ar- what's his name walls it off or whatever um, yeah. yeah uh dr strange yes dr strange, strange. you yeah, go strange Hugo strange yeah um and then arkham
1: origins is like it's christmas eve so obviously no one's gonna be out right like that's the reason which actually i thought that added to some like kind of cool moments that felt a little bit like die hard that makes sense yeah it's clever at least yeah and then I think Arkham Knight is just like Scarecrow put out this toxin, and
0: everybody's like evacuated the city because it's going to blow up or it's going to be some hellhole. So most <laughs> people have left. Yeah, but it's it's funny. Like most of Batman's comic books are like that too, especially in the recent, uh, you know, like contemporary Batman. And I feel like, you know, I like I like comics a lot, but I feel like contemporary yeah. Batman is. I don't want
1: to just come on here and just shit on comics. No, it's fine. If you I mean, like them. Please, but. it's
0: okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not taking offense, but the uh, yeah, like it's it's. What's hard about what's hard about contemporary comics, I think, in a lot of ways, is that they want to be relevant to like sociopolitical stuff, but also they want to—I don't know—they want to have the superheroes uh, still. Yeah. And I think like one of the things about having a superhero and have them like exist somehow compatibly with uh, with contemporary politics is you have to have some sort of disaster happening every time. Like yep. every second, so like it, even in contemporary Batman comic books, like most of the events are up. Oh, there was a huge earthquake and everyone has to evacuate Gotham City, but like also lawlessness is broken out. Or yeah, oh, they're like or the people that haven't evacuated are the people that are right. You know, even though the world's
1: going to end, they're out there looting. Yeah, exactly. Watch out,
0: <laughs> right? So it's it's it it is it's this it's this weird thing. Like even no matter how well done the stories are, and and many of them are, but like. No matter how interesting or compelling they are, you get down to this core of, like, okay, like, why why are we all okay with Batman? Like, at some point, we decided that Batman would be okay with the law, and, like, the, it just yeah. makes no sense.
1: I don't know. Arkham Knight goes around a little bit with this, where you're, like, actively working with the police, mm-hmm. and it's not just, like, this, like, whisper relationship between him and and uh, Commissioner Gordon, Gordon yeah. or Lieutenant Gordon, um, whichever phase he is in the game, <laughs> but... You like actively like communicate with the police and it's not like this antagonistic relationship, which the antagonistic relationship with police, I think in origins is like, it's a prequel game. Yeah. So it's like very young Batman. So I can understand them having an antagonistic relationship with him, but yeah, I don't know. It feels like it kind of goes all over the place, but Arkham origins actually. So the reason I picked it up and started playing it was because I was in a game store like a couple months ago and I saw that, um, so, I mean, Arkham Knight's on PS4, it's on Xbox One, it's on all the new consoles. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I saw they had all the last generation Batman games on, like, this repackage and this, like, remaster collection. Cool. Um, called, like, Return to Arkham. And it had Arkham Asylum and Arkham City, but it didn't have Arkham Origins in it. Right. Which I thought was kind of interesting, but that's, like, the only one that's not made by Rocksteady. Right, it's the, it's the um, one I,
0: game that wasn't made by Rocksteady and it got, like, totally panned as a result. Yeah, people really didn't like it. So I was starting to, like, look into the
1: history of the game. I ended up picking it up and playing it. Um, as I said, but I was looking into the history of the game, and I think WB made a studio just to make this game huh. called WB Montreal. And it's still in business, the website still has job postings. Huh. Um, they've only made, I think, three games. They made, so they made, this wasn't their first game, though. They made the Batman Arkham City Wii U port oh. called like Armored Edition or something. That was like their first game. Okay. And then they made Arkham Origins. So essentially, they were just started to give Rocksteady enough time to make. Arkham Knight and learn like the new system architectures yeah right um, and so they kind of like em- employed this Call of Duty model of releases where you have like different studios making games that have interlocking release schedules so that you have like a regular schedule of releases sure um, but then it just kind of was like discarded and now it's not even like in the remaster collection so if you're someone who's just getting into the franchise the only things you have available to you if you have like the newest console is just the
0: rock steady ones right yeah, it's interesting too because it reminds me of—I mean, I, so I had Mark Normandin on a little while ago. I don't when this comes out. It, I don't know how long ago it will have been, but mm-hmm. a few episodes before now, and he was saying that he likes to—he um, likes to have as many games as possible in hard copy because he's worried about um, down, like he's worried about on-demand downloading, like either shutting down or them like filtering stuff out or whatever, like streaming, uh, particularly being a concern here. And I also heard this echoed in, uh, to go back to sort of your, one of your points of expertise, I have heard this echoed in um, cinema studies as well, where people will say, like, yeah, look, like, streaming's great, Um, you got a lot of movies available to you, but the point is, you don't want to have Netflix and Hulu and Amazon decide which movies are important and which movies aren't, right? Like, you want to be able to, like, the, the reason the Criterion Collection's important is because, like that's a bunch of movies that are important that you can then just, like, yeah. get on DVD if you can't get. Um, and obviously, it needs to be more than that, too. But it's just, like, it's exactly yeah. that problem where, like, they decided Origins, oh, that was, like, it was panned or it wasn't good enough, so, like, let's just forget it existed.
1: Yeah. And the Criterion Collection, it's important to remember that, just like Netflix, just like all these streaming companies, Criterion is also a business. Yeah, exactly. But it's a business that acknowledges that it is one. Right. And they're, like, actively curating this stuff. But Netflix and Hulu and and basically all these, like, Silicon Valley, like, companies act like they aren't, like, companies. They just act like, oh, we're just, like, an app. Like, Uber just doesn't act like it's a company. But they're just like, oh, you just, you know, you get an Uber, you get a Lyft somewhere. Um, But, I mean, Netflix and and Hulu and all these places, like, they're actively curating stuff. But a lot of times there's, like, no real direction to its curation other than just, like, business, like, uh, I guess, like, distribution contracts. Oh, I mean, like, as a
0: dad, I'll I'll, I'll second that because, like you wouldn't believe how often like a kids movie that you know my 3 year old will want to watch like every single day just suddenly disappears off netflix and it's like why would yeah. you do this to me like what 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 possible reason could there be to like take away seasons 1 through 3 of strawberry shortcake like you you monsters <laughs> just
1: 1 through 3 yeah
0: like now i can only watch the fourth season with her and she's sick of it like what are you doing yeah. here and it's you're right it's like it's not about I mean, not that this should be, like, a be-all, end-all for any sort of, like, leftist politics, but, like, it's yeah. not about customer satisfaction. It's about, like, some sort of weird, baroque ability to, like, have particular licenses or not. Yeah. But even then, I mean,
1: I guess what determines, like, customer satisfaction with, with streaming services, because a lot of people that I know, whenever they're just like, oh, did you watch this thing on Netflix? She you watch this thing? Yeah. They don't complain about Netflix not having this thing. Or sometimes they'll, like like bemoan them taking something off Netflix, yeah. but it's never like I'm not using Netflix or anything. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's true. It's always, it's always sort of like an inconvenience, but you'd never not use Netflix. And I mean, the other, you know, the other arm of this is like how many of us have, how many of us have DVD players anymore? How many of us have the ability to yeah watch this kind of stuff outside of like piracy or something like that? I mean, I remember when I had to teach, I taught um, Iranian cinema and it's really hard to get, it was really hard to get DVDs of Iranian cinema and even harder to Mm -hmm. find, I mean, it's impossible to find streaming and it's like even hard to find pirated versions. Um, like when, when you're at like your wits end, it's even hard to find that. So like, fortunately we were able to find them through like these like import circles, but like, yeah, they're super like, they're, they're not like, um, it's like the apple. Like it's not, it's not a, it's not a super rare film or anything like that. It wasn't going super deep, but that's super hard to find in the U S and it's like, okay. That revealed to me, like, okay, lines of distribution can indicate can like impact how I can appreciate art, which is troubling. Yeah.
1: Which also, I mean, that also, especially with Iranian cinema, that intersects with like, I guess, like, state regulation of art because yeah. you have someone like Abbas Kiarostami, who's this director yeah. who always makes things about. I mean, like, his film Taste of Cherry had to get snuck into the the Cannes Film Festival. I thought about teaching that cause, one.
0: Yeah, it's super interesting. Yeah
1: it's a great movie. I ended up writing a paper on it one time, but like that movie, like deals about like suicide, but it doesn't like condone suicide Mm -hmm. or anything like that. But the government over there said, this can't be our country's entry or a representative of our country (laughs) in the Cannes Film Festival.
0: Yeah. And all the, you know, the various Makamabafs and and the the people, I mean, the Iranian cinema is super, super controversial and super, super critical and really smart mm -hmm. and like incisive. But also, you know, as a result of all of that, has, like, this very difficult relationship with its government. Um, yeah. But I guess, like, it's weird then to think, like, oh, well, it's a good thing we live in a government where that's not happening. And it's like, well, the good news is, yeah, like, the government rarely censors anything outright like that. The bad news is, mm-hmm. like, they don't need to because <laughs> all the companies we expect to give us our movies are just, like... Telling us what we should yeah. and shouldn't watch.
1: And they don't censor art, but then also they don't regulate some like more monopolistic like media business practices. Yeah, well, that's certainly true. But another thing also, I was thinking about this the other day, which this isn't really an original thought. I'm sure plenty of people have had it before <laughs> me. But it's weird that, I mean, so many people are like, oh, I don't have cable. I don't have anything. I just have Netflix. And and, But whenever people say that, it feels like the politics of cutting cable off, mm-hmm. like decades ago is so much different than doing it now where now it's like they found a way to profit off kind of the the
0: politics of not oh yeah it's just it's, having cable news it's just about yeah it's, i mean i cut off my cable but it's purely about profit or purely about saving money yeah like it's not there's no politics there <laughs> but of course yeah. you're right like 20 years ago there's a politics to cutting off cable there's a politics to saying like i'm only going to like consume this particular kind of media i'm not going to dumb myself down i'm not going to
1: have this this mass-produced media that's made for like this or made by like a a grand hegemonic class or something like that but then i don't know you have netflix which is kind of this weird like monolithic company that doesn't exactly have a lot of like or at least doesn't exactly like answer for a lot of the things that it makes or or have a lot of like (laughs) true public discussion for why it makes things
0: yeah and i think like this goes into something else that we were talking about before the show started which is this idea of video games taking on um cinematic qualities um but doing so in such a way that it's not so much about it it, it sort of loses the and this would be my reading of it um so i don't want to put words in your mouth like it loses some of the initial um uh, meaning or um, the freight of those initial cinematic moves. Uh, it's not about mm-hmm. like so the the example you were giving, and I thought it was really good, was this idea of the long shot, right? And how like a lot of games are are sort of like perpetual long shots at this point. Um, yeah, take like a Grand Theft Auto or something like that, right? Like constantly, especially in the first person, of course, but especially in the uh, over the shoulder third person. I mean, that's like yeah. truly. It's sort of it looks like. Uh, just, You're, like, this camera that's just, like, gliding around. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it, it resembles, like, like... maybe, a,
1: like, a, a 40... What were you going to no, say? No, no, I
0: was going to say it resembles, like, a, a lot of the uh, sort of, like, 60s French, like, over-the-shoulder uh, shot that would, that would last for a while but would sort of, like, be difficult to do. What were you going to say, though? You were saying... Yeah.
1: I was going to say sometimes, like, those games can turn into, like, 40-plus-hour, like... <laughs> good fella Copacabana <laughs> yeah shots. right
0: no it's true and like and they and they know they're doing it and sometimes they will be explicitly quoting stuff like that i mean that like especially mm. in grand theft auto games or games that are sort of like speaking to a particular genre they're like they're quoting things from cinema now and, and that's interesting in and of itself i guess but like you know you mentioned those and then i was thinking about i was thinking about the long shot in uh, uh, orson welles you know problematic let's 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 like let's get that off the bat like brown face is not a cool thing to do but Mm -mm. um also brilliant movie uh touch of evil um which i i really like as a film you know outside of the brown face um yeah uh which is always a big outside of but the uh like the the opening shot in touch of evil is like so cool because it's like this massive long shot and like it's it was done with a dolly and like it was obviously really difficult and like it was 10 yeah. minutes and you couldn't edit it and it was just like it was really really cool um and part of the reason that's cool is because it's a it's a really hard thing to do like that's you know okay fine that's like a that's not a yeah. really good reason to like something critically but it can make you enjoy something like purely yeah. as a spectacle and then the other thing though for me is that like the rest of the film is cut like an actual film and like pretty normally. It's not like it's not a series of like six shots. It's not like rope for instance. Um, rope yeah. would be the other version of this where like Hitchcock was using long shots in order to like and it was using them consistently in order to make like a particular claim. For for Wells like that long shot is pointing back to you you constantly think back to that long shot as you watch the rest of the film which increases the artifice of both, right? Increases the artifice of the long shot and the short shots. Where, like, yeah. you're just like, oh, I'm watching a thing. This is, like, not actually happening. This is, a, this is an object that someone's created. Yeah. Um,
1: so I guess, like, I, I think video games in, have a weird relationship with cinema mm-hmm. because it feels like, as people have tried to say, video games are art now. Video games are, like, <laughs> right. they're a real thing. A lot of times it feels like they're just, like, attempting cinema. But by, like, attempting other art form, you're just, like, kind of denying any possibility for your own... One example, like one of the games that I used to play all the time was Uncharted 2. Mm-hmm. And the Uncharted games are like definitely, or I guess Naughty Dog in general is kind of up there with making these, these grand kind of, I mean, interactive narratives. Um, but sometimes it's hard to go back to them. Like I remember I got Uncharted 4 um, and I tried to replay like a section of it one time. But there's so many like narrative bottlenecks or I guess more like ludic bottlenecks you have to like go through where like you shoot a couple people and then you have to like go through this section you have to pick up this object and you have to have this conversation (laughs) right and then you go to the next like shooting section um and i don't know whenever games approach like movies in that way it always feels kind of like i don't know it feels constraining i guess well, um, sort
0: of like it's sort of like they missed the point of of film too, because like of course you can have a formulaic film. You could have like an Indiana Jones or something like that, where like yeah. okay, there's going to be some talking and there's going to be some shooting and there's going to be some adventure and then there's going to be some jokes and fine. But like none of that is a requirement to move forward. It's it's not as if like you you get sat down by the director and they're like okay, you've gone through the violent part. Now you need to do the funny part, and then after the yeah. funny part, you have to do the adventure part. Like it's it's. It's not, I guess, like, what I'd say is that hand-holding quality of, of video games. Not the, not in the way that, like, people get mad and like, the get-good uh, school of thinking. <laughs> but, like, hand-holding in that, like, they, they draw you through the plot slowly. They're like, okay, yeah. now here's the next thing. Like, be sure to do this. Here comes the rest of the story. It just, it's not, it's it's like cinema, but it, it kind of misses what makes cinema fun.
1: Yeah. Which also, like... If you think about, I guess, like, movies as objects, mm-hmm. like, it's a thing that you, and I'm not trying to diminish, like, the way we interact with movies or anything, but with a movie, you press play, and then you sit, and it it's a, it's a machine. It operates itself, yeah. and it just kind of goes from there. And, of course, you watch it, and I'm not saying that you don't interact with it in your own ways, but with games, there's, like, you enact things. And, of course, like some games, you'll just, like, do one thing, and it sets off a whole chain of events. <laughs> right. But games are these things that you uh you have to like do things to interact with other things and then cause other things to happen. Um yeah. and I feel like trying to mask that within more of like a cinematic language is something that I feel like misses the point of both.
0: Yeah, it's 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 really interesting because of course like the you know the the classic problem for people with with tragedy or like with and I've brought this up in the podcast probably 30 times, but it's like such a good example of and it's a it's a really good example with video games too. Is that like You know, someone in in the nineteenth century during a maybe it's apocryphal. I don't know. Like that's just what I say about every interesting story now because it probably is. Like it's probably not real, Um, but it doesn't make it any less of a good story. Um, But like. In the 19th century, uh, there was an American production of Othello where uh, during the strangling of Desdemona at the end of the play, I don't know if you've read Othello, but uh, Desdemona I have not. Desdemona dies at the end of the play. Othello, Othello's wife, spoilers. Desdemona. Yes, spoilers for Othello. Um, mm-hmm. Othello strangles his own wife, Desdemona, because he, he assumes that she's cheating on him uh, because mm-hmm. of... Um, Basically, his one of his advisors lying to him, and that's the tragedy of the play, right? Like, he he kills his wife, and his wife was nothing but like loving to him, and so it's it's a sad play. Um, yeah, and like you, you're supposed to like be mad at Othello, but relate with him. It's very complicated, but like, mm-hmm. just like a lot of Shakespearean tragedy. But the um, there was a, a version where it was happening on stage that Othello was strangling Desdemona, and someone from the audience came like barreling on stage and separated them. Oh my god! Yeah, so like it's 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 amazing because like of course that's what you want to happen. You want to like someone to come in and be like, no, no, don't um, and stop it. Yeah, like it's the Romeo and Juliet problem where you want someone to be like, hey, wait, don't don't drink. That person's alive. Don't stab yourself. Yeah. Um, but the um, that doesn't happen, and that's like the point of movies. Like you can't control how they're going to change. Um, Mm -hmm. but in video games, you you kind of can. You can kind of like you can decide the good or bad ending. You can like. Save certain people, not save other people. Even like, even in the yeah. most constrained games, you can make these choices, and it's like, well, that's a different thing.
1: Yeah, there's this great uh, article that was in like Gamma Sutra this year. Let me find the, the author's name really quick. Okay, uh, but it's basically on like interactivity in general. Uh, it's okay. It's by Taekwon Kim. It's called "Rethinking Interactivity," okay. and it's by a Calvinist game designer huh. who basically. Outlines like, games as these, like, structures where it, even though, like, you're given, like, choices within it, these choices are things that are determined. And so...
0: Very Calvinist in its it's own way. Yeah, I I get that. Yeah, basically. sure.
1: He kind of, like, outlines it as, like, nothing truly being interactive just because even though things may be expressive, you may have more avenues of expression like a Mario game than you would in, like, a Twine game. Mm -hmm. Both of them are still things where every outcome is in the code. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you have, like, a systemic game, like, maybe... Uh, Breath of the Wild is a game that has all these, like, different kind of, like, physics and weather and, and damage systems going on within it. But even though, like, the specific outcomes of these things may not have been outlined, but the designers are still, like, things that are available to be reached within the code. Yeah. So maybe, what were you going to say? No, I was
0: going to say that's, like, it's totally fair. Like, I there's a, one of the pieces I've written recently for um, nonsite.org is about... Um, like, the, the relationship of the player to the game. Like, I, I talked a little bit about interactivity. And one of the things I really like about... I wrote about Gone Home in that in that article. And mm-hmm. one of the things, like... The thing I like best about Gone Home, where I actually think it sort of, like, gets close to being art, is where, like... Um, I don't know if you played Gone Home. It's just... It's, yeah. Okay, so at the end of Gone Home, um, you know, very impactful story, um, fun narrative, uh, interesting... But if you if you restart the game, like, if you just say, like, keep playing, um, you just get to be in the house and, like, none, oh, wow. none of the plot happens. You just get to throw stuff around and, like, make big piles of stuff or do whatever you want, basically. Yeah. Um, and I said, like, that's cool because it's basically, like, the game gives you – well, it does two things. Um, the one thing that I wrote about is it gives you this house in, like, the the boom time of late capitalism that you can just mess around with the commodities and, like – realize that they're just things and they don't have any connection to anything unless they yeah. have a the person. And like, you can never have that except in like the most grandiose installation. Right. Um, yeah. But the thing it sort of does that, that you mentioned and like, it makes me think about what you were just saying is that, it, you know, it, it gets you the code. Like it gets, it, you get to experience the code. You get to play around with like, okay, here are the capacities of the game. Here's what I've created. Yeah. Like here, have fun. And it's like, that's, that's something that a lot of games don't do because of course they wouldn't do, but that's probably the closest you would get to interactivity.
1: And that's interesting. I didn't know you could just like run around the house at the end of gone home. But in a way I feel like that's also like a form of like the story itself because in the, in the narrative context, you're the sister who's coming back home after this long trip. Yeah. And then of course, like I'm not going to spoil what happens at the end of gone home. Yeah. It's worth playing
0: still. I mean, I wouldn't spoil it either. Yeah. Definitely. If you haven't played gone home, uh, go ahead and do it. It's like, it's well past the time it was so controversial because of all yeah. the people getting mad about walking simulators, so you can yeah. just play it and enjoy it as it's, as it's meant to be. I don't think it was even mm-hmm. provoking that. It's just an interesting game.
1: No, I think it was just like outlets were covering it and people were like, why are you guys talking about this game? Yeah, right, exactly. And not Call of Duty or something. But, um, I mean, the game is really amazing. You walk around the house, you kind of make some discoveries about ongoings in your family. But then, I mean, at the end of it, the player, you can quit the game and then you go like, Wow. That was a really great experience, mm-hmm. but the the character in the game like still lives in that house, so you're still just kind of walking around, <laughs> right? Good point. Messing around with the stuff. I think that's actually like a pretty good like form of extended narrative.
0: It's true, yeah. It, it really like it's my it's my favorite part of the game, and it, it always feels like it always feels very ticky tack to say so because it's like yeah, I've I've like I've said like my favorite it's part like, of the game is the part of the game that you're not even supposed to play, but like oh yeah, it is super smart. Like it's just a great last last thought. Yeah. Um, and, like, it makes me think about other forms of interactivity that get lost. Because, of course, like you say, we think about um, we think about all these, uh, just like the Gama Sutra article as well, like, we think about all these versions of interactivity that really are kind of, like, imprecise or not quite interactive in the way we want them to be. Um, yeah. And, like, I think about stuff like um, uh, L.A. Noir and the, the facial recognition in L.A. Noire, which was, like... St- Hard for me. It was hard for me to figure out if people were lying based on their faces in that game. Yeah. Um, but also like that's kind of cool because you get to like you get to play this game where it's like okay, um, it's really hard to tell if people are lying based on their faces in real life. Here's a chance for you to try to do it in the game. We're not going to make it very easy for you. Um, Yeah. And whether or not that's a tech thing or not, like it it was kind of true to life. I was like, man, this interrogation's hard because I don't want to say this person is lying just because I think they're lying. Yeah, that was the
1: thing. Whenever I, I didn't play that game that much, honestly, I only played the game one time when I like, I think got food poisoning uh-huh. from like this oh, like no. sushi bar. It was like a uh, sushi buffet, basically, which that's just a red flag in general. Yeah,
0: but I can understand why you'd, why you'd go. I mean, I would probably make. Yeah, I choice. mean, I was in
1: I was in college and I was like, all this for this much. Let's go. Uh, but then like, I was the kind of bedridden be? for the next two days. What? Yeah, I said, what could the downside be? Exactly, none. I, you know, you think you're invincible. It's great. Yeah. Um. But so I was kind of bedridden for the next two days, and I was like, well, I guess I could play La Noire because I just like had it. Someone gave it to me a long time ago, and I didn't play it. But with that game, it was always hard for me with those decisions of like, is this person lying? Should I call them out or not? Because I would always like my instinct to be like, well, I could just say they're lying, and if they're not lying, then <laughs> right, you know, then what's the worst? But if they are lying, I got them. yeah, right. But then I mean, the game like makes it where the person just, like, doesn't even want to talk to you or they just, like, don't want to give you any more information or, or even, like, possibly something that could lead to something else. Yeah, there
0: are consequences for it. And, like, that, I think, like, part of what I really like about that, and also, I mean, like, this happens in um, Night in the Woods, too, where, I don't know if you played Night in the Woods yet. Um, I haven't you, yet. You should. you have heard amazing things. It's, it's really good. Um, but there's a, a scene early on where you, well, there's a couple of instances where you do this, but there's a basically, like, a, a Guitar Hero-esque style minigame. Where nice. you play bass as the main character, but you don't get any introduction to the idea or the mechanic. It just throws you into it, um, and it's really hard. And usually, everyone just messes up. Um, mm-hmm. And when I talked to Scott about it, he was like, "Oh yeah, he's like the whole point of that is like, may probably would be bad at base. so like <laughs> you get to be bad at bass too. Like you don't just get to yeah. be good at it." I think like interactivity that frustrates you is maybe the closest we have to like true interactivity in games, where like.
1: Exactly, yeah, yeah,
0: I don't know. One thing I always struggle with is whenever games
1: like you have these big kind of the i guess like the third person open world action mm-hmm. wave that's been happening for a little bit. um those games it always feels like especially as you approach like a more and more like photorealistic visual fidelity, it seems like they're just trying to render themselves invisible mm-hmm. and and just give you all these different forms of like interactivity, but most of the time they just render like either our world or something that's kind of like our world into just, like, this place that's, like, a an avenue for violence.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Um, I think, like...
1: A lot of the time.
0: Yeah, it's it's sort of like when you hear people talk about how Fallout 4... I forget if it's 3 or 4. I think it's 4. Uh, has, like, the DC... It's, like, it's based around DC proper, so, like, people from DC will, like, say, oh, yeah, I recognize this street or I recognize that street. Like, it's very... It has, like, a lot of fidelity to it. But, like, yeah. I don't think anyone would look at it and say, like, yeah, Fallout created DC. I think you just, like, it's just, like, it's just a, it's like a fun after, it's a fun afterthought, basically.
1: Yeah. I don't know, and I like whenever games kind of play around with interactivity in the way you were talking about with Night in the Woods. Mm-hmm. Um, have you played Near Automata? Yes, I have. Okay. So, I ended up writing a little bit of, like, a end-of-the-year write-up for just favorite games that I played uh, this past year, but... In Near Automata, one of the things that I wrote about is the way that the game. I mean, obviously, the game like changes as you do these different like story paths. I've done I've done all the
0: I've done all the serious endings except ending E, and that's just because. And okay. I know that's super short, but like it's just because I. Um... I kind of have an emotional attachment to the game and don't want it to end if I'm being honest to myself. So uh I understand. Yeah.
1: I would highly recommend that you finish it, but also I understand. Yeah, I will. Everyone really... keeps
0: saying that. I got to I got to actually finish that like the credit sequence yeah. basically.
1: I think it it goes to some places, okay. but one of the things I really like about the game is the way that it as you go through the different endings, especially after the first one, um it kind of like Sees like interactivity as like an angle at which you engage with a problem, mm-hmm. and then it kind of changes the angles at which you engage and kind of edits them together into a cinematic sequence. Yeah. So you have like you start the game and you're playing as as two B two B, and then you play again and you're nines and you have like a couple different abilities, and then you're like you're able to hack and whenever you're hacking you're doing um, you're engaging with the game in a different way where it's like kind of like asteroids mm-hmm. or yeah like a twin stick shooter. And then also throughout the game, it goes to like side scrolling or it goes to, um, again, like a twin stick shooter. But as you go through the game, it constantly kind of changes up the ways in which you're given to engage. And in like the second ending uh, or the second like playthrough, during one of the boss fights, it becomes like a twine game where you're inside the robot's head. And oh, you're yeah. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. Interacting with their thoughts and like reading it. And it just like constantly changes, not just like the body that you have in the game, but also what you're able to do with that body and the way you're able to interact with and solve problems.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't it doesn't even change like the ways in which you you have to it doesn't even change the way in which those problems are solved necessarily. Like the game's yeah. narrative itself doesn't especially change between, you know, playing through as 2B and playing through as 9S um or even playing through as A2 later on, but like the yeah. the narrative of the game just like when you get it from a different perspective, you can sort of see like, oh, so this is how the backup character actually impacted the fight. Or like, here's how yeah. that actually looks from this angle. And you just get sort of this, um, you're right. Like, it is It is sort of an narrative. It's almost like a well-wrought urn. Like, you get to see it from all yeah. different sides.
1: And I'm not saying it creates this, like, this, I don't know, the thing video games have been chasing forever, which is this supreme interactability oh, yeah, where you no. <laughs> create and solve and end and begin all like problems and all like narrative arcs and everything. But it takes a single narrative arc and kind of acknowledges that you don't really have that much effect over it and just gives you all these different ways to view it and then interact Mm -hmm. with it, which I thought that was like one of my favorite things about that game.
0: Yeah, it's really neat. Like it's, it's just a, it's a super smart game that way. And I think that's a good way of thinking about it. I mean, and it's also like, it also talks about the frustration of interactivity because when you make your Mm -hmm. choices in that game, they feel really monumental initially and then as you go through again you're like oh like the choice didn't actually matter much <laughs> or like that choice yeah. the 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 choice i was making like if i was to be and i was fighting that, that person and like it felt like i was doing a lot in that battle um really once i play as 9s it's like oh like the actual important stuff was going on in this you know version of it i guess it wasn't all that important and it just keeps undercutting yeah. you throughout which i think is great like i think making people feel bad about how happy they were about their choices is exactly what video games should do.
1: (laughs) Yeah. There was this, um, I guess this kind of goes back to that rethinking interactivity, but there was this, I think Michael Thompson wrote a review for the new inquiry about the, the Jason Schreier book, blood sweat or blood pixel and tears, or was it blood, sweat and pixels? I don't know, but it's like this kind of recounting. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It's like this recounting of, of different, um, basically the stories of the ways that different games were developed and it goes from like the witcher three to like uncharted four. So it's these big kind of big budget games. And then even like star Wars, 1313, the canceled like bounty hunting game. Oh yeah. Um, so it, it kind of tells these different things, but in this review, Michael Thompson, it's, it's a really nice review. I'd I'd suggest you go read it, but he talks about basically, uh, video games, like training a whole generation of men to be comfortable with being dominated by computers (laughs) Yeah. Because, I mean, video games are, in a sense, kind of systems of domination where it's like you have all these rules laid out and you just have to kind of act within these structures that you're given. Yeah. And then, I mean, you achieve, like, goals and stuff like that, but in the end, it's still, like, within a screen and within, like, a a CPU.
0: Yeah, that's true. And it's not like, you know, there's there's an argument that aesthetics and aesthetic objects are the same thing insofar as, like, Mm -hmm. the best aesthetic objects generally operate and then... Um, Struggle against these sets of rules or like in my opinion in any case I'm sure there's plenty of ways to to think about that but um, I find that to be fascinating like you know the 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 ways that rules work within aesthetic structures as well but like there's just in aesthetic structures you don't have win conditions like you can't you can't win the sound of the fury you can't win jr or whatever you can't win uh what like stalker um yeah like you just you just watch it or you read it and like that's that's kind of the whole point but what you're right like it's systems of domination that you can get slight victories over
1: yeah which even then I feel like what you were talking about with you can't like win these other things I feel like maybe uh I mean I guess this isn't really my own like original thought again it's okay. but with video games like maybe like sometimes like winning isn't the the end goal or shouldn't be. I was talking with a friend the other day and she doesn't really play games that much, Mm -hmm. but she was talking about how her and her roommate bought like a PlayStation one and they found like the Spice Girls video game. I think it's called like Spice World Uh, or something. Yeah, sure. But I was asking like how the game like worked and everything. And she's like, yeah, you just kind of like, you can make songs and beats and stuff and there's kind of a beat lab. And then you make like music videos and you can choose angles and dance moves and stuff like that. And I was like, is it gamified in any way? Or is there like a score or something? She's like, no, you just kind of make it. And she was like, oh, so it's not like a video game in that way. And I was like, no, I mean, I think it's still like a video game. It's just like, I guess, like, it's not like you're not given a number or a screen that says you won, but it's more of like maybe like an external outside the screen. You and your friends are like, that's funny. Yeah. That's weird.
0: Yeah. It's and, so-
1: and so you achieve different things in that way. It's
0: interesting that because that you say that because I think there's a lot, there's like a a, a group of developers. Like, I'm thinking of um, uh, getting over it with Bennett Foddy. The, yes. Yeah. So, like, it's a beautiful game yeah right and like it's just it's a game based on frustration it's a game based on like defying typical win conditions and stuff and like yeah the it feels like sort of a callback to stuff like that where it's like i'm not going to tell you what to make of this game like you get to tell you get to tell yourself what to make of this game like this is about you and your journey yeah. through
1: it which honestly that game for me is like when i've played it i haven't played that much of it But when I've played it, it's not even like this really frustrating experience. Honestly, Mm -hmm. it's a really calming kind of like just kind of chilled out experience of just like focusing on this game. And even though it's like frustrating, I don't know. I think it's like funny, but also I like I've followed Bennett Foddy for a little while. So like I know like his personality and his approach to things. Yeah. So I'm not very idiosyncratic. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not this person who sees it on Steam or like (laughs) a Let's Player who has to react to it to make money.
0: I like the like, I like the uh, the description of it as like survival horror or like existential horror or something, which is like yeah. definitely like got a bunch of people mm-hmm. in there and now they're mad about it. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah, I, I always I always laugh at that uh, that that tag on um, on Steam. Um, but yeah, no, I think I think you're right. Like, I think these games, like I'm thinking like Spice World's a good a good version, but even something like um, oh. Like Mario Paint, like on the old SNES, um, where like yeah. you could actually just like the whole or Mario Music, where the whole point was just like, here's a bunch of tools, like see what you can do with them. I mean, there's yeah. something there's something very interesting about that. That games that have become about getting achievements and about finishing like main story, sub story,
1: hundred percenting,
0: yeah. like there's something that is missing in those that is actually there in those other games. And like those other games, those games without win conditions are. I think in a lot of ways, like, much more difficult texts.
1: hmm There's one game uh, that comes to mind. It's, like, this game that's on Itch, uh, but it's called Catacombs of Solaris. Okay. I'd highly recommend this game to, like, anybody. But basically, the whole game is just, it's, like, a really simple, like, just, like, walls and floor and all the textures on all the walls and floor are just, like, rainbow pixel assortments. Okay. And so you walk around, it's, like, first person. You walk around, and whenever you stop walking, whatever your view is... Whenever you start walking again, that view gets like remapped onto a hallway, so that the flat image oh, no. <laughs> that you see, or at least like whatever you see, then gets remapped onto a hallway. So you start walking, and then like if you're looking at a flat wall, that gets spatialized to cover like a whole like hallway. Oh wow! So then you start walking, and the optical illusion starts moving.
0: Oh, that's sounds trippy. But I think
1: trippy. it's by Ian McClarity. It's free. It's on itch. I could send you a link after this. Yeah, but- definitely. I don't know. There's no, like, win condition. It just says, like, the goal of the game is to find your favorite room or something like that. Wow. That's pretty cool. But, I like that. I don't know. It's a really cool thing. But I don't know. One other thought I forgot to say about Batman earlier yeah. is that... So Let's bring it right back me, around. Yeah. <laughs> tell me if this is wrong, but for some reason, and this may just be, like, me, like, starting to play more video games back then... But it feels like the Batman games, like... So, I mean, most of the game you're spending in, like, this detective vision. Yeah. Yeah, there's no reason um, not to be detective just, vision. Like, pretty much. Because, I mean, it just, like, basically strips away, like, the texture of reality or whatever on the game and makes it this, yeah. like, binary of interactability, whether, whether it's blue and passive or it's it's orange and you can use one of your gadgets on it or something. Exactly, yeah. But was there a game before that that you remember having this kind of, like, detective mode where you essentially just, like... I mean, I'm thinking of, like, games like Assassin's Creed, games like Horizon Zero Dawn, where, yeah. like, Horizon Zero Dawn, you can, like, scan enemies and see all their weaknesses, their weak points and everything. And it kind of creates this, like, like, this architecture of knowledge where you just have all the knowledge at your disposal. And it's, like, this power fantasy not of of having power or even, like, accumulating power, but of, like, dispelling the power of people that are going against you just by having all this knowledge about it.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's there's a... I guess you could argue that roguelikes and um, a lot of early um, top-down and text-based RPGs, or, like, in fact, like, the sort of, like, first-person dungeon crawlers um, had the, like, identify mechanic um, Mm -hmm. that basically commodified knowledge, where, like, you would have to spend resources in order to know what certain things are and like hope that they Mm -hmm. were useful to you. But, um, which
1: like, I guess you could say this for like any third person game where you're able to see outside of your body and see like around a corner that your body couldn't. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But I think like, I but to your larger point, I mean this idea that like, that's not something that you have to use within your view or spend resources to get that. It's just like an element of making the game sort of clearer. Like you get God vision effectively. Um,
1: yeah, which even, like, I, don't know. I think the new Assassin's Creed, I don't know if there's an explanation, like, for the connection between your character and the eagle, and I haven't played the game, so I wouldn't know, mm-hmm. but you just have, like, an eagle that functions as a drone that you can just, like, zoom up to, and then you can, like, go and tag enemies at this fort that you're trying to go capture or something like that.
0: Yeah, and it's, that goes in, that's, like, yeah, it just immediately reminds me of Rainbow Six Siege, which is really fun but also it's like yeah. a total game about you know going in and killing terrorists or killing cops or yeah. like it's it's extremely violent and extremely jingoistic but also pretty tongue in cheek so it's kind of yeah it seems
1: like that game is so much more about like the esports factor the streaming factor yes. not esports i guess but like the the streaming and like oh, I mean, whatever a, like the weird like there's a multiplayer culture is yeah i mean there's an esports there's a scene, scene for esports for it yeah
0: yeah yeah it's very popular that's interesting
1: is there like a payday esports scene i
0: don't know i bet there is there seems to be an esports scene for everything every time i doubt there's one there's like some massive scene that has million dollar you know pots or whatever but like the i saw there
1: was um an esports scene kind of or not an esports but like some kind of an organized competitive scene for Catherine.
0: oh i saw that too which is uh (laughs) which i think is amazing yeah it's, it's an exciting like i can't i can't imagine um I saw. I saw a number of them were mad about the remaster, or like interested in the remaster, or had like thoughts about the remaster, or whatever. Um, yeah, they were just like, "We've talked." What do to you these. mean? Well, I I can't even honestly remember what they said, but like I remember yeah. when they announced that they were remastering Catherine, they were like, "We're talking to these people who are in competitive Catherine leagues." <laughs> it's like, "Oh my god!" All right, like I I guess.
1: <laughs> I mean, yeah, I guess like they could probably make some money off of loot boxes in Catherine. Oh, yeah, for sure. If They're they good. really wanted yes. to with an organized multiplayer matchmaking system.
0: <laughs> but, like, I mean, so, the the re, I mean, you know, there's actually the way, the, the idea of bringing this stuff up that, like, some games are trying to create an artifice that is, like, total, and then some games are doing, like, the esports thing where, you know, something like Siege or um, uh, even, like... Um, Oh why do I always forget what this game's called? Um uh CS:GO like uh a, like a Counter-Strike. Oh yeah. Um like the the there's no artifice there. It's like any politics in it are completely stripped. It's like it doesn't matter. Like yeah. yeah, of course it's all jingoistic, but like no one cares if you're the terrorists or the like the 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 good guys or whatever. Like it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um and like but like the other thing that I thought of with Siege is that like they make mechanics out of drones. They make mechanics out of things that, like, yeah, you could just throw out what? a drone and, like, yeah, your little drone drives around and you can look to see where other people are on a little screen. Oh, okay. It's useful. Like, um, but then also, like, people can shoot you as you're looking at your drone screen, so it's, it's risky. But again, like, this is just, like, you know, you want to talk about dangers in it and you want to get, like, super serious for a second. It's, like... Those kind of technologies are really problematic and scary in like everyday yeah. life, and when you gamify them, it makes them a lot less scary um which is the other side of the coin in some ways to this hyper realism
1: yeah, at some points, it feels like maybe there's like a normalization that happens, yeah definitely in games like that where you're like oh i'm gonna use I, like it becomes part of your language like oh, I'm gonna use this drone to go over there and get this thing yeah
0: i mean uh, i I've, I've I can't tell you how many times I've said like um contact or uh closed doors with proper opsec <laughs> on like playing PUBG, like you just oh, become God. you just become a, like a, a little operative <laughs> like that uh i remember like
1: was it like it may have been like two e3s ago or something <laughs> like that when they were showing off like Wildlands, the new tom clancy oh yeah ghost that, recon yeah. game that's just like uh like i don't know like u.s imperialism and war on drugs yeah <laughs> the right. game but like during the demos <laughs> they would always have like Yeah, I mean, pretty much any, like, military game has, like, the people in the demo that are like, all right, uh, I got a Tango at 7.30.
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Contact. And they bring out, like, the fake military gamer speak. But it's so easy to get into, like, when you're playing multiplayer, it's just like, all right, um, I got uh, shots fired, northeast, uh, silenced, uh, suppressed fire, uh, contact, contact (laughs) at It's looking, like, from my position at 2.30, northwest. It's like, what am I doing? Like, But you just fall right into it like well i, yeah. I but no even reason. then like
1: as far as like talking about like maybe an overarching theme here of like simulating reality something like yeah. PUBG is like i feel like simulates reality in a bit more of like a different way mm-hmm. than just like oh it looks really real even though i mean it's an armor 3 mod yeah and it's this right. really highly intense military simulation but i think the structure around PUBG is also this really interesting thing because not only is there just like the coordinates inside where you're able to like talk with your friends or you can tell, like, what type of weapon they're firing or something like that. And all that's really important. But also, like, when you die in that game, you get kicked out to the title screen. (laughs) Right. And, like, you only see what happens whenever you're alive in that game. It's true. Yeah,
0: you don't get to watch the rest of the game.
1: Yeah, which I think, I don't know, that I feel, like, acknowledges the weird, like, disconnection between, like, highly connected, intensively connected multiplayer games uh, where you're supposed to have this, like, transcendent connection Hmm or something like that that people always like or at least like that's like the PR speak. Yeah. But then like a game like PUBG comes along and and it's more about it like it feels like it doesn't want you to play.
0: No, not really. I mean, it doesn't seem to much care. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's just like you could play if you want, but if you die, you get hit with like two shots and then you're out and you have to start again over and over.
0: Yeah, it just it relies on itself being like too good not to play. Mm-hmm. It doesn't give you anything really.
1: Which I mean to its credit, it like, for the next five years, we're going to have Battle Royale modes in, like, every video game ever. Oh, yeah. Ever.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. No, I mean, there's going to be more Fortnites, more games that are just, like, Battle Royale. Yeah. But, I mean, maybe that's a good thing. Like, to, to sort of, like, close off my thoughts on this, like, I think, like, you know, we've been talking about the ways in which these games have been, I don't know, like like, going towards the sense of realism that isn't exactly fair or realism that it doesn't actually like represent reality but then also doesn't yeah. get at the the useful artifice of film and like it's just this it's this weird kind of I, I don't know like they you know the idea of masters of reality being like something that could describe the people at id software just as well as it could describe like anyone designing stuff today <laughs> but everyone designing yeah. stuff today actually has like they have the power to do it in a certain way but like mm-hmm. I mean, there's something about the artifice of, like, massive multiplayer competition games and battle royale games that maybe, I don't know, maybe it's, like, a corrective to it. Maybe there's something really useful in PUBG and Fortnite and all these games that are, like, yeah, squat up and then die and then reload it and squat up and, you know, good luck. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. Fortnite's
1: weird because, like, I've, like, just in paying attention to, like, different, like, podcasts and stuff, seen it kind of, like, grow into, like, this major thing. I've downloaded it twice and I've only played it once.
0: It's pretty fun. I mean, it's not I think I think it depends on what you start with. I think like I think it's a total yeah. preference thing. I like PUBG more, but just because yeah. I've played more PUBG. Well,
1: I only played PUBG like when it was in like relatively early access on my friend's PC. I don't have anything that's capable of running it. Yeah,
0: early so, access PUBG is where it's at, man. That's that that was that was the good times. I really liked it
1: back then. It was really amazing. Uh Fortnite, the one time I played it, I didn't know you could build in it, so I started shooting at my first enemy and this guy just started building a wall so i couldn't shoot him anymore yeah the and I was building like, part is super this? important yeah it's real weird i didn't even know about it but i made it to like seven out of a hundred there you go in my first game so that was pretty good but also i've seen like a bunch of memes about Fortnite where people are like all right y'all you got to pick gun to your head 2k or Fortnite." and i'm just <laughs> like
0: is it at the level of nba 2k that's yeah that's I don't know. um man i well and here it is like we're probably I mean, you're only 22, so I feel worse for you, yeah. but we're probably out of touch at this point. <laughs> probably.
1: Too yeah, early. honestly, like some, it really depends on the day, whether or not I like video games or not. I really go back <laughs> and forth because God, sometimes it's awful, but sometimes it's good. I think it's really funny, honestly.
0: Yeah. No, that's, I think like, honestly, ending on the note of some days we like it, but some days we don't is a perfect place to.
1: Uh, video games happen. Like that's about all I got. That's
0: right. That's right. Uh, <laughs> All right, well, thanks, Seth. Uh, so, like, uh, yeah. uh, do you have anything you felt like we didn't touch on, or? um, Not really. All right, yeah. I don't know, we kind of just Pre- ran the gambit. Pretty capacious talk, yeah. Anything Anything yeah. you want to plug? Anything that we should be reading, looking out of yours? Um, Not
1: at the moment, but I don't know. I'm probably going to be just writing some more stuff in the future. But you can pretty
0: much find anything I do just on my Twitter, at ASAP Sunscreen. ASAP Sunscreen, yeah. Um, check them out. Uh, they're good. They're good people. Um. Solid tweets, solid writing. Good follow. Thanks. Yeah, anytime. Well, um, well thanks, man. And, and um, anytime you want to come back, I'd love to have you back. Yeah, for sure. Definitely. All right. Uh, um, again, follow Seth. Uh, follow their Twitter at uh, ASAP Sunscreen and uh, see you next time.